This is Linux at Work, episode four, for the 26th of September, 2020. Welcome. I'm your host, Ben Vasharan, along with my co-host, Chester Wisniewski. How you doing, Chester? I'm well, Ben. One of the things we're going to talk about a little later in this podcast is an app called Todoist, and perhaps I should be using it, and we might make these podcasts more consistently. Well, each to their own. I, uh, oh, we've tried, though. A lot's changed uh, in the last few months. Well, you have a new studio. I do. And this is the first time recording out of it. And uh, you don't have a new one, but it looks a little bit different. Well, I do. I, I kind of have a new studio in that my entire house has sort of been remade over uh, in the last couple of months. So I, I have a new desk and a whole new setup. And I'll use that as my excuse for why I didn't produce any podcasts because I've been living on my patio for the last eight weeks while my, uh, my condo was uh, made anew again. But uh, we're back in the saddle. And we decided to kick it off with a newscast uh, again to just bring uh, bring ourselves up to date with the current news in the Linux community that might have some relevance for uh, business-oriented Linux users. And then uh, you and I were talking earlier in the week that perhaps we can also do a, a feature episode on uh, some reviews and stuff, ideally in about a week's time. So if any of our listeners... Uh, have some feedback they can share with us on Twitter or Reddit that might encourage us to continue to uh, to get more consistent and we'll see how things go. Yeah, I know we're floating around a few topics, uh, a lot around collaboration. I'd love to follow up on the Teams conversation you and I had, but um, yeah, like you said, any feedback that we've got, let's let's hear it. And then to begin with uh, was a topic that you brought up first. Uh, we mentioned it in the last news podcast on Linux Academy, which is the KDE, uh, I guess it's the KDE user conference, right? Uh, were you able to attend that or, or get any impressions of how that went? So I wasn't able to attend it myself. One of my gripes with virtual conferences uh, living in Australia is time zones. It just doesn't align up and uh, I can't realistically attend anything. And that's not just with European time zones, that's with American as well. But um the beauty is the KDE community have posted every talk from every day on their YouTube channel. So you can just go to the KDE community on YouTube, just search for them, and you can see all of the content uh, posted. I do want to call out the keynote uh, was by Gina Hoisker, who is the creator and founder of Octoprint, uh, a popular 3D printing software. And it was amazing. I have to say, like the, the other talks have been great and I'm not through all the content yet between DEF CON and this and a few other virtual conferences like PyCon. I've got a lot of content to catch up on. She went into talking about starting independent as a hobby, then being hired by a 3D printer company and then going back to independent again. And it's fascinating to see an open source community get behind somebody to say, okay, well, this is popular software. It's being used commercially. It's being used personally. Let's use Patreon. Let's get some commercial backers so she can do it as a full-time job. I loved it. And I highly recommend everybody at least watch the keynote for Academy, learn a little bit about Octoprint and the the joys of becoming a, a founder for a popular open source bit of software. She even goes into things like abuse and people complaining about lack of features. She covered off uh, how someone emailed her and said that Octoprint saved their marriage because he was spending too much time with his 3D printer. So <laughs> I thought it was wonderful. And uh, what I've seen from uh, from the content so far, I'm really impressed. So well done to all the speakers and anyone interested in KDE, but open source in general should jump onto the KDE community YouTube channel and have a look. 
I'm not sure that the marriage is actually saved, to be honest. If, if a 3D printer had the opportunity to get in the way at all, there might be deeper issues that they should pursue solving. But it's, it's heartening to hear uh, people share those experiences with the, the, the authors of software like that because people contribute so much of their time and energy to keep these open source projects alive. And I don't think the authors hear enough positive feedback. They only hear the niggling and the complaining about little bugs and stuff that there's never enough time in the world to solve. So it, it's encouraging to hear people in the community not just complaining and uh, taking up a positive stance and sharing positive views for once. Without a doubt. And honestly, it's not easy. I've tried to create a couple open source projects. I've got them on GitHub as well. But when you're creating from scratch by yourself, you need to be full stack, front end, back end. Uh, she goes, Gina goes into talking about just marketing and branding around the open source project as well and how to kick all of that off. So there's lots to be taken away from that keynote and all the content in general. So transitioning to the next topic, uh... I've kind of combined to a little bit of news about Lightworks and uh, you had some news related to KDN Live or mentioned KDN Live to me. So uh, I think it was interesting to talk about for a minute. Um, many people who know me know I've worked at Sophos for Eon's uh, security company and a big part of my job uh, at Sophos over the years has been producing short YouTube explainer videos about the latest uh, exploit when, you know, Patch Tuesday comes out or uh, explaining, you know, buffer overflows or other security concepts to people and these types of things. And as an open source user and a Linux desktop user at work, I have always made everything, you know, with my own equipment and used uh, Linux tools and primarily KDN Live. Uh, but I've always been interested in Lightworks. And I saw a story on OMG Ubuntu uh, to talking about the fact that Lightworks had just recently been sold. So, uh, the company that used to own Lightworks uh, Edit Share has sold it to its own employees, and and that always encourages me. Um, I love the fact that employee-owned organizations, if an employee you know has so much passion that they're willing to put their own money and effort in to buy their project, and and, and take it their own direction, generally to me that's something to keep an eye on, and uh, I, I'm hoping that this. Um, bodes well for Linux video editing, because uh, to be honest, it's quite garbage. I mean, uh, nope, not trying to pick on KDN Live. I, I've primarily produced all my videos in KDN Live, but it's been a tough slog. I mean, it's crashy and things are a little wonky. And every time you load it, there's a different bug that you feel like you need the previous version, which has a different bug that's a, you know, a blocker. And it, it's complex software, but we're way behind the Mac and Windows world. And uh, I was really encouraged to hope that maybe Lightworks will get the support it needs to really be a, a first class citizen when it comes to Linux video editing. Yeah, I, I hope it remains uh, somewhat free as well. It's difficult if you're in it. If you've just bought out a project uh, that's something you're passionate about, obviously you, you're going to have to support yourself and you, you're going to want customers. So hopefully it, it remains somewhat free. But just to loop back around to KDN Live, uh, something I discovered while I was uh, looking at the Academy content was Caden's actually been rewritten over the the last couple of years. And at the, uh, I think it was September 1st, there was a new video release covering off all the new features and new UI. I've been using it without really knowing what its past was like, but uh, I, I got to say it, it's a really slick bit of software. So don't write it off just yet, Chet. Well, I, I won't. And I mean, it, I, I've done all my production with it and it's been, uh, you know, the best tool available on Linux. It was just 
another tool that, um, like a lot of Linux tools, just was lagging a little behind what we see in the closed source world. So maybe the balance that Lightworks is trying to find with, uh, you know, a, a commercial license and an open source base, like so many other projects have done. I mean, look at Elastic or there, there's a bazillion things out there now. Uh, maybe that's the right balance. I mean, open source folks need to recognize that people have to feed their kids right i totally agree um, and that's where this open core model has become popular so hopefully it remains at least the same um, if not similar and we'll see where they go in the future but best of luck to them absolutely for those of us who have tried to work on linux for a long time uh, at work one of the challenges you run into was hardware support and then fortunately companies like system 76 came along uh, years back and started officially, you know, producing fully vetted Linux supported hardware platforms, especially laptops. But that didn't necessarily fit into the corporate ethos. Uh, certainly um, in jobs I've had in the last 20, 25 years, every shop has been, you know, HP or Compaq, if I dare admit I'm that old, uh, or, you know, Toshiba or Dell or HP, or I think I already mentioned HP, but the or Lenovo, I guess, is the one I was missing there. But the problem is, you know, you're really only allowed to get from the spec sheet that the IT team has. And it's not that easy to convince the boss that we should spend $2,000 on a System76, which I feel terrible for, because if I have the budget, I, I'd rather support an organization like them. But uh, some really interesting news, right? Because uh, it started with Lenovo, I think, announcing support for Fedora. Is that right? Yeah, so Lenovo announced support for Fedora. But in the back end and on uh, like Ubuntu have been talking about for a long time now, or Canonical, about uh, their process of uh, white labeling uh, or, sorry, shipping ThinkPad devices and going through that compliance project uh, process and we've seen that come to fruition as well. So what is it? HP, Dell, and Lenovo all have core devices now that come with uh, Linux, which is great for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's quite an extensive list. I mean, I think the list for Fedora with Lenovo was a little limited, but the, when they announced the Ubuntu support, I think it was 15 different hardware models. I mean, that's pretty extensive. Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to the next hardware refresh. Uh, I'm looking at the Lenovo P1 devices. Like you said, uh, I'd love to support System76, but being uh, geographically located where I am, if I have a faulty device with System76, to package it up, send it across to uh, to Northern America and then wait for my replacement device, uh, it's just not feasible when, you know, these bigger manufacturers that have got confidence and even contracts for better pricing and things like that with enterprise. If I can go to the IT department when my X1 Carbon's up for renewal and say, look, this is my selection of devices, they adhere to the corporate policy, but I want to run Linux and I want it to run Linux well, uh, hopefully it's well received. I don't, I don't really think you can blame the hardware manufacturers for the fact that you live in the backwards corner of the planet. Uh, that's kind of on you. I, I know what you're saying, and I don't disagree. Uh, but uh, I've got to say, uh, I used to work for a large enterprise, and we had mine sites in the middle of Outback Australia, and Dell could still get replacement either cons uh, notebook parts or server parts out there within 24 to 48 hours, which is pretty impressive uh if you know how remote outback australia is well that, that that's true and i mean that's the thing about the big manufacturers right i mean they're they're supplying the hardware to all the major corporations in every country in the world and you know they've got uh, depots with spare parts and 
you know, even uh, our company has, uh, you know, regional depots around the world to have, uh, you know, hot spares available as quickly as possible to customers when they have a failure for hardware. So it is encouraging to see Lenovo, HP and Dell. I mean, gosh, I mean, that's that's the vast majority of the hardware out there all having a Linux option available. Uh, that's encouraging. I mean, I, I've been rocking a Dell XPS for, um, I think this is six years now, uh, the XPS 13 developer edition that I exclusively bought it because it was supported by Linux and it was something I could get uh, IT to buy. So having more options can only make things better. Totally agree. So the thing everybody's been waiting for, and I, I, I've been wondering when this was going to come. I, I Microsoft Edge for Linux. Yes. It's going to be here soon. I mean, I, I cannot wait. I've set an appointment in my calendar to remind me to download on the day it's available in October because the one thing missing in my life was Microsoft browsers on Linux. I, uh, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin here. Uh, I have no desire to install this, and I, I don't know why Microsoft would waste their time with this. I can't imagine that this is going to get used too much. Like, it... It's based on Chromium anyway, I believe, because uh, that's the way that Edge has gone on Windows. But the the typical corporate policies and things like that that we see, say, in the Windows world are not applied to Linux devices. Uh, so I kind of see an IT department saying, look, you can use Linux all you like, that's fine, but you have to use the Edge browser. I just don't see this as being needed or at all necessary. Like Microsoft have been really great when it comes to contributing to open source and the Linux kernel. Uh, look at WSL, they're doing great things. And I can't believe I've just said that on the record, but Edge, I don't believe is one of the things that is needed, but uh, that's my two cents. Uh, one word, Ben, one word, it's Cortana. <laughs> <laughs> no one that uses Linux has ever said I need Cortana in my life or more Cortana in my life. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know? Maybe Master Chief is an actual Linux user. It wouldn't surprise me. I, uh, you know what? I'm not going to say anything bad about uh, our, our, our friendly overlords at Microsoft. Well, while we're talking about Microsoft, let's shift modes and talk a little bit about Hyper-V. It sounds like they're trying to, uh, or they've written, but are obviously trying to convince the kernel community to integrate uh, root partition support for Linux into uh, the, the mainline Linux kernel and not just be something that's homebrew over in Redmond. And uh, I'm trying to get my head around exactly what this means because I'm not a heavy Hyper-V user, but I have a, quite a bit of experience operating ESX, ESXi, slash uh, even you know, Citrix Zen um, and open source Zen environments. So are they talking about making the hypervisor run natively on Linux or using the Linux kernel for the hypervisor? Is that what your impression is? That's what my impression is. Uh, the wording is a little bit unclear. But so uh, that's how I've understood it. And if it is, I'm actually excited for it. Uh, again, I can't believe I'm complimenting Microsoft for the third time uh, uh, since recording. But Hyper-V is actually a really good hypervisor. I, I like it in a lot of ways. In fact, my last Microsoft certification that I got, I think, six or seven years ago uh, was around Hyper-V and the System Center Virtual Machine Manager. There's actually some really great tech there. But I, I don't know if this is going to actually be consumer-based tech or if this is to make uh, Azure as a platform go round. 
That's what I'm trying to to understand. If they're talking about actually bringing Hyper-V to Linux as another hypervisor, uh, great. I don't think that's bad news at all. Uh, but if it's just for Azure and for them to improve their stack, to have that powered by Linux, but using their hypervisor, well, that's a different story. No, I, I think they have to be making it widely available or it would just have to be a private fork if it was just going to be for Azure. There's no way the Linux kernel community is going to integrate code into the mainline kernel if it's just for Microsoft's private environment. I, I don't see that as being realistic. Uh you mentioned Microsoft certs. It just kind of reminded me that my my last Microsoft certification was upgrading my MCSE for my, uh, Windows NT Advanced 3.5.1 or 3.51, I guess it was, uh, to uh, Windows NT 4.0. Um, so it's been a while since I've done a Microsoft cert, but you should probably the, get that renewed. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I guess I'll I'll have to learn Active Directory. Uh, if I was going to upgrade from there, but uh, the the idea of another open source hypervisor is not a bad idea. I mean, Zen's a bit. I don't know what to say about Zen. I mean, obviously it's the core backbone of what AWS uh, EC2 is operating in. But on the other hand, um, it's just it's a bit difficult unless you're at massive scale and there's just a lot of backward compatibility stuff with just backporting things because it needs to run on older kernels. It, it's always, I don't know. There's just always seemed, there's always a new problem with running Zen outside of a uh, commercially supported like uh, Citrix Zen server environment. So all we really have is, you know, VirtualBox and, and KVM. I guess why not let Microsoft throw their hat in the ring as long as the code is open. Yeah. And well, I guess we'll see what happens. I, I will say if, this is where it's going. I'm actually really excited. I've recently gone through the hypervisor evaluation and you know everybody everybody on Reddit talks about Proxmox, which is based on top of Zen. In fact, a lot of things are based on top of, uh, is it, oh, sorry, KVM. And I keep going back to ESX. And the one thing that Hyper-V is missing, and the reason why I actually don't run Hyper-V in, over ESX, uh, although they have a bare metal edition of Hyper-V, what they're missing is a web UI. So in order to manage your Hyper-V services at the moment, you actually need to have a, a Windows machine there with the MMC snap-in for Hyper-V to connect to that host. And that's not practical. But if Microsoft are bringing Hyper-V to Linux and it's going to, like I could see a world where you spin up your host, let's say a CentOS box or Ubuntu box, you install something like Copilot, uh, as the web UI for managing that host. And then you've got a Hyper-V web console on top of that. That's actually not a bad looking world. I, uh, I support that. So, so Copilot, is that the web UI that's default on Fedora? That is, yeah. And it's, it's really slick. It's really nice. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, a Fedora user, but I did spin up a VM and was like, what is this? This feels like cPanel. And I immediately got scared as a security expert. Uh, look, I did no security evaluation of it myself, but uh, the, the general user experience was far more friendly than cPanel. Yeah, no, it's really quite slick looking. Uh, and that, that pivots us to our last main topic, which um, is Linux certifications. And there was a new entry level cert that you had drawn my attention to. Uh, do you want to detail what that's about? Uh, the Linux Foundation, I believe, launched it. It's like an, an entry level Linux cert. Yeah, so the Linux Foundation have 
launched an entry-level certification called the LFCA, the Linux Foundation. Uh, actually, I don't know. I'm assuming Certified Associate. Uh, I, I should have double-checked that. But it's awesome. Uh, firstly, it's uh, it can be done online and remotely proctor. What were you going to say, sorry? That, that's correct. It is the Linux Foundation Certified IT Associate. Okay, perfect. And I really like that you can do it via Pearson View uh, with a remote proctor. Now, last time I checked, Pearson View didn't support uh, doing a certification online in Linux. So you're probably going to have to spin up a virtual machine uh, to, to do that in. But uh, that's a small price to pay. You'll find that these remote certifications are cheaper than having to go in center uh, to, to get tested. It covers off, uh, they say the breakdown is about 20% Linux fundamentals, 20% system administration fundamentals, 20% cloud uh, compute, uh, 16% security fundamentals and DevOps, and of course, um, 8% application and developers. So it's it's a nice breakdown. It looks like a very holistic certificate. If I was a junior or someone that was looking to pivot into Linux, and Linux seems to be, especially on a server side, something that people need to know now, I would personally be quite excited by this certificate and go for it. Yeah, as a security expert, I'm a little disappointed that security fundamentals is uh, shortchanged from its 20% by uh, by four, but I, I understand the balance. And I think the real issue to me, uh, where, where you sent me a link to a ZDNet article, so if you're looking for it, you can look on ZDNet for Linux Foundation certification. The problem is both its benefit and its curse, in my opinion. The uh, An executive from the Linux Foundation was quoted as saying, it has been decades since a truly new entry-level or pre-career IT certification has come to the market, and it is high time that changes. And, you know, I both agree and condemn it all in one go. Like, he, he's right. Uh, it's important to have a new cert, especially one that recognizes the importance of DevOps in the cloud, which I don't really think any other ones do. And that's the really unique part of this one. But the problem is that it is, there's a reason there's not new certifications in this space. And the reason is certifications are only valuable if someone else values them. And it takes time to build reputation that a certification is meaningful. And it's one of the things that uh, I see a lot of juniors getting CompTIA certs. And in my opinion, they have a, a negative value because the value of them is zero and then you paid money to get it. And I, I'm not trying to pick on CompTIA, but in the marketplace, I don't see any employer or organization going, we need CompTIA certified people in order to know that they've got the fundamentals. While CompTIA is intended to give you the fundamentals, it does not. And that's a back to the blessing and the curse. That's what's great about this. They're, they are giving you the correct fundamentals, at least on paper. It looks like it. I'll be interested to see the cert myself. But if they are giving us those fundamentals, the problem is they've got to build a reputation that gives it value. Simply doing the right thing is not good if employers go, what the hell is this? Like, it doesn't help you any. Yeah, I totally agree. But uh, with this anyway, you know, you go through the content. It's got such a nice breakdown that it could also shift a junior into their preferred career path. Like you might do the DevOps fundamentals and say, oh, I love DevOps. This is where I want to go. This is where I want to become an expert on, or I really enjoyed security. So having the nice breakdown at least will shift them to where they want to go. So even if the certification itself is not valued by say a recruiter, maybe it's going to help at least progress that junior engineer's career. I, I agree. And to me, like the makeup of this, I'm literally not trying to pick on it. It all looks good. The issue is simply 
the reason most people get certs is to try to give them some sort of career advantage. And sadly, whether those certifications are good or not, that market is dominated primarily by in the Linux space by Red Hat certs and in the generic IT space by Microsoft and in the security space by ISC squared with CISSP. And all three of those have been uh, picked apart to the nth degree by experts as to why they're all terrible. But there's something that the employers recognize, which is why they maintain their status. So I hope I hope this certification can achieve that level of uh, reputation. And do you, do you know what the cost has been? I mean, is it something that uh, if you're simply looking to learn those basics and kind of do that, uh, what color is my parachute IT mission? Is it affordable enough that uh, you might just give it a go? I, I don't know the costs off the top of my head, but uh, yeah, it's just going to have to be a Google. Uh, lastly, uh, and I think what you and I discussed, it might be a segment on these podcasts. We're just going to talk about a couple of new things that have popped up that people might want to check out, including ourselves and uh, new things to the Linux desktop community that we're using uh, as, as uh, professional users. One thing I saw that caught my attention was uh, Todoist, which is one of the kind of task management to-do applications that's been quite popular. Uh, it's always been available as a web app, of course, but you know they've got native Windows and Mac apps. They've just launched an official Linux app. And so I actually went and loaded that up. Uh, I, I'm an Arch Linux user, so I had to install SnapD and because it's only available as a snap but so it was my first experience with a snap as a non-ubuntu user i'm not a snap person so loaded up the the snap daemon got it all installed did a snap uh install todoist and it's great the native app feels nice and lightweight it's quite fast uh it doesn't feel like some crappy electron thing uh slack and uh, you know i'm not a todoist user my wife is but i i'm thinking about giving it a go and um testing it a bit more but i was really encouraged to see such a mainstream popular application uh be made available natively on linux and i'm hoping to see i think it's sort of a beta ish uh the version number was like 0.21 so it doesn't sound fully baked but looks and works really well i've been playing with it this afternoon and got got no complaints yeah, I'll have to have a look at this one myself. Um, I, I've recently started using uh, the free tier of Confluence actually to uh, to keep myself organized. Uh, so by Atlassian, so uh, it's certainly not free and open source. Um, but I'll um, I'm gonna have to have a look at this one. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a bazillion task management to do apps, and uh, one of the things that To Do is just introduced as a Kanban. Uh, tool, I guess, Kanban version, Kanban option, whatever you want to call it, but it has Kanban capability now. And I'm a big fan of the Kanban concept uh, for managing projects and, and uh, tasks. So I want to check that out. I mean, there's tons of open source stuff, so I hate to give um, too much attention to closed source applications, but uh, I, you know, it takes a village. We need all kinds of software on Linux to make it available for our community and not all of it can be open. It's just nice to know that we can use mainstream things with our colleagues without being forced to run things in a virtual machine. Yeah, totally agree. And um, you had another one noted down, apostrophe. Uh, why don't you talk me through that? Because I'm excited just by the title being a, uh, a markdown editor. <laughs> oh, well, the title itself just being an apostrophe. I mean, heck, it's a backwards back tick. I guess that's a front tick. Uh, I mean, I'm like, I am terrible with Markdown and I've been kind of, initially I was forced into, you know, Markdown through things like GitHub 
And then I decided to take my own website and get it off of WordPress because of a bazillion reasons and just move to publishing, you know, flat file based stuff. Cause I don't need a lot of interaction. I just have things I want to publish and you know, everything for uh, sort of uh, no interaction, flat file publishing is based in Markdown. So I really had to start learning Markdown, but uh, I'm a busy person doing other things most of the time. So I do a bunch of Markdown and it feels secondhand. And then three weeks later, I do more Markdown and forget everything I learned three weeks previous. Uh, some of which I think might be due to age. Uh, my memory's not that great anymore if I don't do it every day. And so an actual editor where I can kind of see in real time the Markdown as I'm writing it and get recommendations and help. And even just silly things like it does dictionary lookups. You can, you know, highlight a word and it'll give you the meaning and, you know, the the past tense and the present tense and, you know, all these kinds of things bring the best of both worlds together. It feels like a full featured editor the way you would get with a proper LibreOffice writer or, or you know, or Google Doc or something. And yet it's helping you generate simple markdown code to edit the wiki and publish the blog and, and that kind of thing. And um, I've only been playing with it for a couple of days, so I don't have a lot of feedback yet, but I encourage people to check out Apostrophe. It's available in most software repositories. And uh, if you have to do any markdown work, or if you are publishing blogs and you're thinking like I am, I'm moving away from WordPress to flat files, uh, I think it's a great way to help you in that transitional period where you're not going to be the Vim master just cranking it out in Vim on the road from the airplane Wi-Fi connection. Uh, you want something a little richer to help you. Um, yeah, you need training wheels. To me, it's Markdown training wheels. And once you're an expert, it's just that extra cream on top to make it that much uh, more pleasant to do. Awesome. I'll have to take a look at that one. You have anything else you'd like to add, Ben, before we wrap up? Uh, actually in closing, I found a delightful YouTube channel called Honeypot. And, uh, this is going to sound horrendously boring, but please go and have a look at it. Uh, some filmmakers have started doing short documentaries on open source JavaScript libraries. So I discovered it when I was exploring Vue.js about three weeks ago, and I ended up spending or well, having the YouTube channel on in the background for most of the day and just watching these really cool little snippets on how some open source communities go from startup and inception and from an idea to, you know, powering the internet. So I, I highly recommend it. That's called Honeypot. That sounds great, Ben. Everybody should check that out. I will check it out myself. And that will conclude this version uh, of the podcast. Thanks for having me, Chad. This has been... Linux at Work, episode number four. To contact us and stay in touch, please visit https colon slash slash www.linuxatwork.org. Our podcasts are available there. They're via RSS on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else fine podcasts are syndicated. We appreciate your feedback and ideas, so please be sure to share them with us via email at hosts at linuxatwork.org, on Twitter at linuxatwork, or in our subreddit slash r slash linuxatwork. Don't say you got everything gonna be everyone gotta be everyone Don't say you got anything gotta be everything gonna be